I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. ES Audio. Hello, and welcome to the Evening Standard Theatre podcast. I'm Nick Curtis, the Standard's Chief Theatre Critic. I'm Nancy Dorrant, Culture Editor. And I'm Nick Clark, the Deputy Culture Editor. This week we're coming to you from Wyndham's Theatre in the heart of London's West End. Well, we're by the stage door. Coming up on today's show, we'll be reviewing Black Superhero by Danny Lee Winter, which is on at the Royal Court, starring Emmy Award winner Dylan Burnside from Pose on Netflix. Plus, for our second review, we'll be discussing Sea Creatures, now on at the Hampstead Theatre downstairs. That's by Cordelia Lynn and directed by James MacDonald. And we'll be joined by Hamilton's Giles Torreira to chat about his play that he is also starring in, The Meaning of Zong, which is on at the Barbican for a blink and you'll miss it run from April the 20th. Our story takes place at exactly the same time as Hamilton takes place. So I didn't start it that long after Lynn started his journey. It was interesting when I came to do it, I knew a lot about the period. Further touring dates coming out for that show too. Uh, right, guys, can we go inside please? It's actually freezing. Yes, please. Not off. We're here at the Wyndham's Theatre, currently home to Oklahoma, which you need the exclamation mark for. Um, we've got the best seats in the house for this podcast. We do indeed. Sat right in the middle of the stores. I think Oklahoma's on until September, is that right? Yeah, it's booking till September 2nd. We're in Wyndham's, as we said, which was built in 1898 by the actor manager Charles Wyndham. Uh, Eight years before Oklahoma is set, because oh, the action yeah. of the musical takes place in 1906 when it's about to. Oklahoma is about to become a state. It's about the dynamics between farmers and cowboys, but it's more about the sexual dynamics between cowboys and cowgirls, I think <laughs> it's safe to say. Uh, this was called the Sexy Oklahoma in, in New York, which I think is an awful phrase, but it's kind of apt. It so won our. It's deconstructed. It is deconstructed, um, but uh, very pow- and very powerfully. So it won our Best Musical Award at the Evening Standard Theatre Awards last year and won a Best Musical Performance in a very crowded field, because there were any number of people in this mm. who could have won, for Patrick Vale, who has been in this show since its first iteration 15 years ago as a student production at Bard College. Wow. He's not yeah. sick of it yet. He's not sick of it yet. He does say this will probably be his last uh, his last crack at it. I mean, 15 years in a part is long enough for anyone, isn't yeah. it, really? Unless you're Ken Barlow in Coronation Street, I suppose. <laughs> anyway, there we go. Wyndham's Theatre, lovely, beautiful theatre. Stunning. Uh, it was the second one built by the actor manager, Charles Wyndham, after the Criterion, where we were last week for oh. our podcast. We're and it in was, the pocket of Big Wyndham. We're in the pocket of Big Wyndham, and uh, it was it's one of six West End theatres designed by W.G.R. Sprague, possibly the sort of one of the three most famous uh, West End architects, along with Frank Frank Matcham and (laughs) the other one, (laughs) (laughs) whose name currently escapes me. That's all right. Right, so let's kick off with our first review. It's Black Superhero by Danny Lee Winter, directed by Daniel Evans at the Royal Court Theatre. 
So Black Superhero at uh, the Royal Court is the first play to be written by actor Danny Lee Winter, terrific actor, in which he initially took the lead role as well. Uh, But rather unfortunately, this opened while I was away on holiday. So both Nick Clark and I only saw the stand in. Um, You saw him more recently than I did. Uh, He was still holding a script when I saw it. Wow. Should we say first, yes, uh, last week Danny put on social media and it's on the Raw Court website that he decided to step down for personal reasons. So Lewis Brown took over the role and will be in the role until April 29th, the end of the run. Right. And does it very well, I think. I mean, he, even though he had the yeah. script in his hand when uh, when I saw him do it, I was very impressed. He'd been in, in it, I think, three days by that point. It's, it's amazing. I saw him on Tuesday and he didn't have a script in his hand. I think it may have been his first performance without it. And he was brilliant. There is something about, uh, obviously, an audience supporting someone who has to step into the breach at the last minute. But actually, you wouldn't know unless you'd been told. He was absolutely superb. He really brought the character huge amounts of pathos, I think. Yeah. It was a, a fabulous performance. It's the sort of 42nd Street syndrome, isn't it? You go, you, know, you started out as a member of the chorus, but you're coming back a star. <laughs> and, it, and audiences do love that. You're absolutely it, right. It was really lovely because when he went off at the end, I was sat quite near the wings. And I could hear them all cheering. And uh, there was a little round of for he's a jolly good fellow. And I <laughs> assumed it was because of some reason of him maybe being off book for the first night or, you know, one of the early performances. And he absolutely deserved it, I think. Yeah. I haven't seen this show. It's only you guys. So what's it about? It is about a group of black male gay actors who are in a friendship group, but a slightly fraught one, mm. which has some sort of erotic permeability, shall we say, <laughs> to it. Um, <laughs> There's quite a lot of discussion about whether relationships are open or closed, you know, and, and where friend, where friendships stray into. And some of the actors are struggling and some of them are doing much better. And the sort of centrepiece is a guy called King, who is sort of landed the role of a big Marvel-style superhero. So he tends to draw in all the attention, certainly from outsiders, but also from David and everyone else. And David sort of falls in love with him. What it turns out quite clearly is that King is not a superhero. He's someone who enjoys the attention and as much attention as he can get. Yeah, he's played by Dylan Burnside, the star of Netflix's Pose and Dharma Monster, the Jeffrey Dharma story. He is. I was such a... It was such a delight to see him on a London stage because I loved Pose. He <laughs> right. was yeah. brilliant. He's in, he's very, very charismatic, very isn't he? Charismatic. Um, and part of the dynamic on stage is the fact that he and Raheem, the, the other friend character, are these gorgeous, hyper-worked-out individuals. Yeah. And David is a bit of a schlub, isn't he? Mm. Who's got not a terribly successful acting career. He's mm. staying with his, his sister, who has, has is, is basically wants him to move out because she wants to start a family. Shout out to her, Rashenda Sandor, who's been in the line of duty in Small Axe. She's brilliant, as David's sister, Sid. Yeah, yeah. He has some daddy issues, it's safe to say, yeah. though, but he has some abandonment issues. Uh, and he has some dark secret in his past mm. some uh, addiction occurrence that everybody alludes to and nobody is never actually entirely fully and that explained. this relationship with king sort of leads to, leads him to because it yes you know as it as things go wrong and he spirals out yeah. of control i think it's very clearly a first play i'm yes. saying this as, as delicately as i possibly can a lot of it felt quite familiar, really. A lot of it felt quite talky. A lot mm. of it felt very issue-based and, and sort of rather mechanically working through issues, uh, specifically about where friendships and romances blur into one another. Yeah, it, it sort of split. What I liked about this play, it really got the dynamic of male friendship quite well, quite bantery, except on the moments when it goes really polemicy. And it, it's a play that wants to talk about big issues, but it feels like it doesn't quite meld them with the characters. The characters talk at each other. 
they sort of espouse these big theories to each other in a way that I just thought maybe didn't ring possibly that true I feel like that's one of the hardest things isn't yeah. it it's yeah. like you've got something important to say and if mm. you're if you were drunk and like really controlling the room with everybody else like tired on the sofa mm. then you might well talk like that but otherwise <laughs> like happened. actually it never happens yeah. never like, happened you never to me, do no. but I think that's so so difficult Absolutely. to get right yeah I and agree the, I mean the problem is it is all text and no subtext. And in, in certainly in those cases, there's a moment, it's interesting, he talks about seeing King for the first time on a tube and he's reading Pinter plays. I thought, well, actually, it's interesting that he brings up Pinter because a Pinter play could not be more different. Yes, yeah, that's true. Can I just on a side note say, I'd love to see your quote really polemic-y outside the Royal yeah. Court. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, right. standard. Stick, you could just stick it outside the Royal Court. You could stick it out. <laughs> that's true, just leave it there. Just, yeah, change the name of the show. Is it? <laughs> I time. left my dictionary at home okay guys, <laughs> 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 anyway it's, it's i wonder what it would have been like to have seen danny lee winter performing in mm. it it's obviously a very personal mm. project for him i've no idea how much or if any of it is autobiographical but it feels like it's a play by an actor about mm. what it's like to be to struggle as an actor mm. um and i feel we've seen quite a lot of those plays over mm. the years there's also a note on journalists as well there's a note on a little squirmy about yes. i've got to say there's a, yes you're right there's a the, the character uh, king has an interview with um with a journalist who uh, who doesn't want to talk to him about the work which is a fairly crappy superhero yes. franchise clearly isn't yeah. it i mean any superhero called craw yes. is is going to stick in your craw <laughs> a little yeah, bit yeah, i right. think um and this guy just wants to sort of attack him about you know where he stands on issues yeah. and uh and those sort of things and yes I think both of us were probably thinking yeah those are the questions I'd yeah. have asked yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean there was a lot to like as well about this show I've got to say that certainly the dynamic between the actors but all, oh, the set was very impressive I thought Joanna yeah. Scotcher and the lighting design by Ryan Day absolutely fabulous there's an incredible set piece I thought with sand which I really loved and I yeah. won't spoil it for anyone but it's a really nice theatrical moment that's I true thought. it's a great coup de theatre that mm. one uh, while I'm being really pretentious yeah. <laughs> 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 um, I, lo- I have to say I love the black superhero costume as well I yes. mean, you can't go wrong with a great sort of helmet headpiece and uh, a long cloak yeah. can you no and it's well directed by I mean Daniel Evans you know you're in safe hands with Daniel Evans you do know you're in safe hands with Daniel Evans yes yeah he's, uh, he's well he's about to jointly take over the RSC that's right uh, having yeah. run Chichester for, for quite a long period of time um, it'll be interesting to see what he does next mm. Daniel Winter um, I, I think he's a as I say I think he's a tremendous actor he was yeah. wonderful in the normal and heart. there's definitely something there I was never bored I found it interesting all the way through I just thought if you can get a bit more subtext in there and, and maybe just make that script a little bit funnier I think I think the theme of this week's podcast maybe could have done with another draft Right, we're going to a quick ad break. After this, we'll be joined by Giles Torreira to talk about his new play, The Meaning of Zong, at the Barbican Theatre. Yes, and in the meantime, why not give our podcast a rating and hit subscribe? Guys, do you think the bar's open yet? (laughs) Yeehaw! (laughs) You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. 
BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Danny Mays, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. With me this week is Giles Torreira, the writer, co-director and star of The Meaning of Zong, uh, which is at the Barbican. Giles, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit about, well, tell, tell the listeners what The Meaning of Zong is. The Meaning of Zong is a true story. It's about a black man in London in 1783 who hears about this atrocity which has happened on board a British slave ship in the Caribbean and he tries to do something about it. It's the story of him um, enlisting a, a man who at the time was the sort of one-man abolitionist, Granville Sharp, in London and the two of them set about trying to bring this story to the attention of the British public and in doing so they kind of kickstart or help to kickstart the beginning of the um, abolitionist movement in the UK. And also in doing so, in our telling of the story, the the sort of hero, the main character of the story, Alad Equiano, inadvertently refines himself on the journey of trying to bring about social justice. Right. The story of, of the Zong is pretty horrific, isn't it? We should probably unpack what actually happened. Yeah. Somewhat. A British slave ship in 1781 is heading over from the west coast of Africa to uh, Jamaica. And uh, the voyage is, is a disaster from the outset. There's massively inexperienced crew, a very inexperienced captain. The ship is um, overloaded with far more human beings than would normally be on a ship of that size. And when they get to Jamaica, because they're so late and because um, sickness has kind of ripped through the entirety of the vessel, what they decide to do, the captain is to throw some of the enslaved Africans into the sea so that they can claim the insurance on them when they get back to Jamaica because the whole of the British slave trade was basically built on um, insurance. Yes. So that's what happens. Over three days, a massacre happens where they kill 132 of the Africans and then come back to England, to Liverpool, and try and claim the insurance. The insurers refuse, and then um, it ends up in court here at Guildhall, and the the jury find in favour of the ship's owners, so about £3,000 is is paid out in insurance for these murders. And at that point, the insurers appeal, and then the appeal hearing, um, it happens at Westminster Hall in Parliament Square, modern Parliament Square. At that point, Olaud Equiano hears about this. Um, incident. He goes to Granville Sharp and says, we have to do something about this. So the two of them set about against almost um, all of, sort of the popular opinion of the time. They they are sort of pushing against that. So in many ways, for me, yes, it's a story which happened a couple of hundred years ago. But to me, it had, it's got massive resonances with stories now, especially yeah. when we look in them. All of our headlines are about black and brown people in boats and what we need to do about it. Our story takes place at exactly the same time as Hamilton takes place. It just takes place over in in the, on this side of the Atlantic instead of over there. So I didn't start it that long after Lynn started 
his right. his journey. This is Lin Manuel Miranda, the, yeah. the creator of Hamilton, in which you played Aaron Burr, the first yeah. Aaron Burr in London, and, and remarkable you were as in that role. I must thank, say. thank you very much. It was interesting when I came to do it. Is actually um, I knew a lot about the period yes. <laughs> because I had been researching it for, for the meaning of Zong. Yes. So, um, but you have this incredible decade where at the beginning of it you have the American Revolution, which is absolutely entrenched in the idea of human rights and liberty and freedom. And then at the end of the, that decade, you have the French Revolution, equally so. And in the middle of it, you have this Zong story, yeah. which for me, absolutely in one kind of event, series of events, really encapsulates the idea of human rights and the extraordinary um, wealth that was being created and these empires that were being created. Mm. Um, so you have this kind of dramatic pull with the story. So I thought that yeah. it's it's something which is which speaks to now for me anyway. And I mean, how did it, how does one set about writing one's first major well, play, uh, <laughs> which is it's a it's a fairly challenging piece of work. I mean, I mean, the the, the technical challenges of it are quite big. Well, that's what I like about theatre. Yeah, I like theatre, which which you know, Shakespeare's is where I start off, and Shakespeare has no qualms about going. Okay, now we're in Agincourt, now we're in London, now we're here, now we're there. So for me, it was the obvious thing to go, this needs to happen in the theatre. So what I initially started out doing was going, okay, let me just grab all of the existing material, verbatim material, because all the key players in the story have sort of written their own their own stories. So Alain Equiano is very, he, he published his memoir um, in the late 1780s, and it's gone on to become a massively important, one of the first so-called slave uh, narratives published. Granville Sharp, um, has also written his his life story. Uh, the Zong hearing itself that the play focuses on was documented. Alauda and Granville Sharp go in, take a, a shorthand writer into Westminster Hall and document the whole thing. So the first thing I did was went down to the Maritime Museum, mm. Greenwich, and they bring out this 200-year-old book in you know white gloves and in plastic in a box and somebody can't touch it. And there it is. Um, this 200-year-old handwriting. Yes. There's huge players in it, and they've all written this stuff, so I tried to bring as much of that as I could, and then I was like, right, I'm going to do it verbatim, I'll go to the National. Um, when I started it, Nick Hyten was was running the building, so I, I spoke to him, and he said, yeah. okay, well, have some space. And then at a certain point, Tom Morris, who's my co-director, got yes. involved, and he was like, okay, now you need to sort of make the sort of... Um, leap in terms of writing this yourself and filling in the gaps. I was also very interested in going onto the ship and finding out the story from the, the people who experienced this. Hmm. And we know that during this three-day massacre, it transpires, we, we find out from the affidavit of the first mate in the hearing that one of the Africans who was thrown in, overboard into the sea managed to grab hold of a rope, hmm. in his words, grab hold of a rope, and there clung on by his bare hands and managed to pull himself back up. Extraordinary. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, that's theatre, that's drama. It's yeah. like, you, you, what are you going to do in that situation? It's literally down and deeply sea, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's been a difficult process. Yes. Over the years, we sort of workshopped it quite a lot. We've had a lot of readings, yes. as any good piece of theatre should have. And uh, we performed it last year, and it, it, it was received really well. So. And it was performed, at that time, Tom was running Bristol Old Vic, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, we should probably mention Tom Morris was the co-director of War Horse as well. That's what he's uh, prim yeah. you know, primarily um, or chiefly known for. Was it important, or 
significant to put it on at Bristol because that became such a sort of flashpoint with the downing of the Edward Colston statue yeah. of a way of discussing the legacy of, of the slave trade. Yeah. I mean, the first thing Tom said was right. I mean, you mentioned Warhorse. I was like, the, per- the you know, the person who, who, who directed Warhorse is definitely the person who could come up with how to tell this story. Um, at one point, I knew that this ship, the Zong, would come crashing into... Westminster Hall where the hearing was happening so when he read that he was like okay I want to make a piece of theatre out of that yeah. how are we going to do that yeah. and then the second thing he said was like okay we need to take this play to the four major slave trading cities in the UK yeah. historically so they were Liverpool um, and then Glasgow hmm. and London Yeah. so that was the initial plan even before I'd really got into the writing he said we need to take this to those cities because in his experience Bristol was going some way to having a reckoning and a conversation with itself about its history, but there was still a long way to go. Yes. And that's what we did. Last year we went to Bristol and then we went to, actually went to Edinburgh in the end Mm. and then came down to uh, Liverpool and then back to Bristol. And it's kind of fascinating that you're doing it in the Barbican, so you're doing it in the city of London. My hope is that you might just be um, interested in, in... finding out something like the, the, the tearing down of the Colson statue, whether one agrees with it or not, at least it starts a conversation and makes people interested in who are these people that I'm walking by and what is their legacy, what have they done? Yeah. Um, so for me, I'd like to, you know, people to, to, to look at Watch Downton Abbey and go, okay, well, where's, where is yeah. that well, money coming when, from? How was that house built? Yes. Well, yeah, how was that house built? Yeah. I think it's important. I've visited a lot of those kind of homes, mm. stately homes and castles. And you go, yeah, and yet there isn't really a conversation about it mm. in the in the way which I think is useful to people going, okay, what's our version of that now? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. There's been a weird sort of collective act of sort of willful forgetting, hasn't there, or neglect? I think about yeah. the, uh, the 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 legacy of slavery and uh, sort of combined one, which I think the play touches on as well, about how multicultural certainly London and particularly major trading cities always were. That's so. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that you. Um, as, as, as well as Olado in, in this, there's there's numerous other historical black figures who feature in the play or who are mentioned in the play. Yeah. Ignatius Sancho is mentioned yeah. at one point as well. Yeah. I'm glad I know you Patterson Joseph is uh, writing exactly. about it at the moment, isn't he? Exactly. And yeah. I cannot wait to read his book. Um, something, again, I didn't know was just the extent to which there was a, a, a large, thriving black community in London at the time. In fact, we all tend to know about that first abolitionist committee that got together was William Wilberforce and Thomas Clarkson and, and Amazing Grace and, and all Amazing that stuff Grace and, and all yeah. of that. But we don't know, what I didn't know is that a couple of years before that, the black community got together, mm. the Sons of Africa, and they were organized and they were very much aligned with the Quakers who were doing a huge amount to combat slavery at the time. Uh, so our story takes place at the beginning of the bringing together of those organizations. Yeah. Um, but there was a, a black presence in London at the time, yeah. again, which we don't know about. A lot of the time I'm in plays and people go, oh, well, you know, there weren't black people there and stuff. And it's like, there were black people <laughs> from the Elizabethan type. Yes. Like, so there have been black people in, in this country for a long time. And it's interesting, again, to try and tell that yeah. story. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. And the meaning of song is at the Barbican Theatre. Right, well, we sneak backstage at this wonderful theatre. Let's go to another very quick ad break. In the meantime, why not hit subscribe so you never miss an episode? Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Matthew Modine, and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Should we uh, get into our second review? Yes, it's Sea Creatures at Hampstead Theatre Downstairs. Uh, so this is just under two hours uh, straight through. Story of a family of women living by the sea and a young man who comes to visit them, expecting his partner to be there. She's one of the daughters, but she is not there when he arrives. It's by Cordelia Lynn. It's her first play at Hampstead. And... I don't know, you know. Yeah, I, I don't know, know you know. It's it's not just about a family by the sea, is it? It's sort of weird, weirdly oh, of women by the sea. They're a community, really, yeah. rather than a straightforward family. It seems like yeah. some of the daughters are optional people who've just turned up. They may be sort of selkies. They may be mermaids. There's a a sort of folkloric element through mm. the whole thing, isn't there? Mm. A slightly mystical um, element about the sea being a goddess i'm guessing yeah um, to be honest i i really wanted to like this i remember you didn't like it and i thought it sounded terrible when i read your <laughs> review and then some friends or a friend said that oh i've seen loads of people on instagram saying that's great and hmm. i sort of wondered why and she said oh well it's mainly middle-aged women i thought well, i'll probably like it then let's see um and i just i i'm struggling to see the point to be honest i'm struggling to see the point and i i the the last play of cordelia lens that i saw was love and other acts of violence at the donmore warehouse which similarly was straight through i think about 90 minutes mm-hmm. long but felt like it had at least three plays in it none of them finished yeah um, did, or none of them sort of complete and I, I slightly sort of, felt that with yeah, this one I was a bit sort of lost and I I, I read the uh, the text afterwards on the way home and the idea is that it's a play about or at least it came from the idea of being a play about someone's absence yes but for me that didn't really come through because none of the women are remotely surprised by the non-appearance of the absent character so yeah, she's you sort of Robin, don't feel she? her yeah. lack yeah, no, yeah she's you called don't. Robin she's 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 certainly somebody's daughter the only person who seems to feel the lack of her is Mark yeah. her partner I don't know that part of it sort of got lost in it for me yeah there's a sense at one point that she's sort of evaporated Robin as well that she hasn't yeah. disappeared or or been abducted but she's sort of recombined with the elements somehow yeah which um, slightly undercuts the stakes yeah a yes. bit actually yeah. and I feel like motherhood and care okay they're definitely a theme aren't they yeah the, one of the characters Shirley is um a brilliant academic who's had two or three daughters again hard to tell one of them mm-hmm. might be a selkie who knows yeah. more or less on her own um, I think one of the fathers is is just sort of dismissed as uh, the last sperm donor mm-hmm. um, which was I thought a nice line and she has sort of you know popped the kid in a drawer because that's the easiest you know that she didn't have the money for a for a cot and she's carried on with her career and, and, and that's all fine but I'm not sure it really provided much in the way of insights except for kind of you can be an objectively neglectful mother and still be loving and have children who love you but the only person whose kind of response to life seems to have been extreme is the missing Robin and it's clear that if that person is a real person 
that person has a serious mental illness and yes. it's not just about being sort of, you know, put in a drawer as a baby. It's also, we should also say, it's, it's not just about the sort of physical loss of someone as a mm. presence, it's about the possibility that Shirley has some form of dementia and yeah, is losing her mind. Yeah, there's that as well, And there's the sort of lack within the relationship. Her partner is played by Tusita Jayasundara, who I'm, I love as an actress. I thought they were all good, Yeah, they're actually. really, I mean, it's a terrific cast. Geraldine Alexander plays Shirley. Um, and the younger actors are, are extremely good as well. But... Uh, Tusita Jayasundra's character complains about the lack of, of sort of commitment in the relationship and the, the sort of sexual indifference mm. or, or, you know, the, the fact that she doesn't really feel she's really there. Mm. And there's a constant sense that you n nobody really knows anything about anybody else. Yeah. Like, they keep talking about her painting. She's an artist. Of course, there's... Uh, you know, there's an academic and an artist and it's all a bit, uh, you know, bourgeois and annoying. <laughs> um, a, a lot of it, I kept saying, this this sort of starts, setup starts a bit like a sort of escape to the country <laughs> by this lovely light field thing in the, yeah. in the uh, you know, on the, with the sound of the waves crashing outside. Of course, you may be invaded by selkies and mermaids, but that's, you know... Uh, that's the part of the course, isn't it? Yeah, view. exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's um, there's, there's all this talk about her painting lobsters she endlessly paints lobsters and at the end she says actually no I've never painted a lobster yeah you and never yet, really know what's true but that sort yeah. of doesn't wrong foot you it just makes you confused which yet sounds like it's the same thing but it's not two mechanical <laughs> lobsters which then scuttle across oh the, floor, the floor halfway through and you just think everybody in that the? audience is like WTF yes. <laughs> what is happening it was normally love an animal in I know the, in but the it was so incongruous bring on it, a dog or a car yes. and it's yeah. fine yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it ought to look they don't even look really like, like quite a few people were whispering what is it yeah, they're sort of metallic. Going, it's a lobster, which crawling. was totally distracting. Nobody was listening to anything anybody was saying on stage. One of them got stuck the night I was oh, there. So the stage management person had to come on and retrieve it from the bottom of the table. Lobster handler. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, actually, the lobster handler waved goodbye to the last lobster this time. It was really sweet. I'm not sure he was meant to, but it was a really nice touch. Um, I just about the cast. I, I'm a big fan of Pearl Chander, who mm. plays George. George is the eldest daughter um, of. Shirley and she's very very pregnant. Yes. I was interested in her character because she's very pregnant and she really doesn't want she's to be. furiously she's pregnant. absolutely livid. <laughs> and that I think that's a really interesting struggle to see on stage. Just just engaging in this desperate self-sabotage of drinking and smoking constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And I found it I didn't find it shocking. I found it sad. Mm. I thought that was really quite touching. How was Tom Mothersdale? Because he played Richard III rather brilliantly once. So. Ah, yeah. yeah, so he plays Mark. He was pretty good. I feel like it, it was funny, actually, because Cordelia Lynn in the in the programme uh, writes about how she ha did know someone or go on a date with someone or something um, who who kind of aggressively cooked at her and yeah. then tried to tell her how to iron a shirt. But when you put that guy on stage, he just can't be that awful do you know what I mean yeah, it's like yeah. those people do exist mm. so he but does it he, somehow doesn't quite ring true he intrudes even though it on probably this house is and exactly and, like and, that yeah and mansplains everything to them and tries to take over the cooking doesn't it that's, yeah. the, that's the thing and that's all he really does as a character uh, yeah. and then sort of complain about the lack of Robin and, and the women seem magnificently unbothered about the fact yeah, that she's exactly. not there so uh, yeah. but he's good he was in love and other acts of violence as well and mm. he was terrific in that even though again that that left me asking more questions than it answered I think just like this one I'm normally like a massive sucker for the whole kind of like mystery of the sea English folkloric selkie stuff yeah. like I usually love that shit but I'm there for the selkies as yeah, well yeah totally but if you're gonna if you're gonna do that it really needs to add something and it felt like I was watching two plays a bit like what mm. you were saying about love and other acts of violence yeah. actually it felt like you were watching two different things more than one different thing that wasn't that weren't 
they weren't somehow quite connecting. Yeah. I was interested, Cordelia then said she doesn't really plan plays in the interview in the programme. She right. says that she just sort of sits down, writes, and then waits until she's finished, and then she goes, oh, it's stopped. And I think one can sort of see that slightly on stage. Quick mention for the older actors, mm. Tony Turner, Jean Watson, who are sort of wheeled on to be quirky briefly oh, and God, then wheeled yeah. off again. And ages ago, I did an interview with David Hare where he said he would no longer write a play where a waiter came in and said, your taxi's here, madam, or something. Yeah. But this is the equivalent. <laughs> You've got June Watson, who's one of the greatest actors on our stage and who I think is now in her 90s. Yeah. And she's just sort of literally, you know, just shoved on to deliver this monologue about being a sort of... About being a selfie, creature wife, it? yes, yeah, yes, exactly. to a sort of fisherman like, who ruined here is her. A, yeah, here is a folkloric myth that I am going to deliver as a first-person monologue. It just feels really odd and you, it doesn't... I don't know, you're just like, okay, yeah, okay, thanks. Which is then what everyone else pretty much says on stage. It's interesting that these are these two plays that we talked about this week, this and Black Superhero, are at our premier new writing venues, mm. although Hampstead has been quite troubled where, yeah, where Sea so. Creatures is on because it's lost its Arts Council England grant and it's then lost its artistic director, Roxana Silbert. But I think for a long time it's felt that dramaturgy has been lacking somewhat, not to go all succession on you. <laughs> <laughs> but dramatur- dramaturgically, I think um, <laughs> this this has been lacking somewhat in Hampstead recently. That yeah. a, a lot of these plays that we're seeing could do with a bit more work yeah. or a bit more time. As I say, some of the writing is really nice. Yeah. Like uh, if you listen carefully, you can glean a lot of information about the characters that isn't dragged out in explication. She doesn't do explication, which is a re- like we were talking about earlier with a black, black superhero. superhero. She doesn't do that. She doesn't do apart from the the monologue about being a seal you know she her writing is actually quite economical in in its in its sentences so you work out where mark and robin met through one throwaway line and you're Mm. like oh now i know who you are there's a lot of text uh, as opposed to all text Mm. but i but i just i don't know at the end of the play the woman in front of me leaned over to her friend and said I've got no effing idea what just happened, <laughs> which I sort of think is fair. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose, you know, there's an argument to be made that one shouldn't always be able to totally understand theatre. There's something to be said for it, theatre that casts a spell or, you but know, lulls you it somehow. Didn't, I didn't, no, no. It just made me go, oh, that was an hour and 50 minutes, which felt a little bit longer. Yeah, it's very well designed and, and lit. And yeah. The, oh, yeah, the soundscape and the lighting is so, wonderful. Yeah, it, no, it is. It's, it's gorgeous, actually. It looks beautiful and I do think the actors are, are fantastic yeah um I just yeah I just didn't I, I came out of it without without feeling anything much really mm. I didn't have my equilibrium uh altered and that's that's not you kind of want you need that silky lovers only isn't yeah. it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's illegal isn't it <laughs> Sea Creatures is at the Hampstead Theatre until April 29th. That's it for this week's episode of the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Big thanks to Giles Ferreira for joining us. Yes, and do make sure to go back and listen to some of our previous interviews and reviews. We've met Matthew Modine, Jenna Coleman, Daniel Mays and Marisha Wallace, loads of great people. And you can find all our reviews and news online at standard.co.uk. If you haven't yet done so, hit follow or subscribe so you'll always be reminded when a new episode drops in. It's as easy as that. Exactly. See you next Sunday. Right, we better get out of here. There's a show on, isn't there? Oh. Yeehaw. Yeehaw.